0: Good morning, church. It's good to be with you again. Um, We are continuing our series, The Unseen Battle, as we continue to talk about spiritual warfare. Uh, I'm going to give a a plug for a book, a good friend of mine, um, White Lies by Pastor Daniel Hill of River City. Um, Free copy, one of the benefits of being friends with authors. Um, but I want to highly encourage you to pick one of the, uh, one of these books up and uh, and read it. Um, I think it is it is timely and so critically needed in our time today. And also actually ties in with where we're going today as we continue our series. Um, I want you to still buy the book, but here is essentially the, uh, the summary, the anchor foundational truth that the book is about, and that is this. White supremacy is built on a side of lies about human value. That's pretty much the entire book. The narrative of racial hierarchy, the operating system of white supremacy, is not much more than one ongoing lie. It's a lie that attempts to deceive and harm people of every background, telling them their value is tied to their racial background and not their divine birthright made in the image of God. And by the way, how appropriate is it that that we're talking about this as we go into our Reconciler Week, Right? Daniel argues this, and it's so powerful. He says, you know, when an individual agrees with the lie of this narrative that is of racial superiority, it represents a direct threat to that person's well-being. But, he says, what happens when it's no longer just an individual who agrees with that lie? What happens when a family agrees with the lie? What happens when an entire city agrees with the lie? What happens when an entire nation agrees agrees with the lie. If you're going, uh, I don't know, do we see how dangerous it is? Well, you'll see this on the screen. Number of hate groups operating across America rose to a record high. This is so depressing to me and sobering. 1,020 hate groups as of 2018. It was a fourth straight year of hate group growth, a 30% increase in the last four years. Here, this truth, church, lies divide, lies destroy, lies steal, and lies kill. So this headline... How the QAnon conspiracy theory gained a foothold. Foothold. That's straight out of Ephesians 4.27. How QAnon conspiracy theory gained a foothold in America. Now, you've heard this group, and I don't pretend to be an expert in this group, but here's what I do know from stuff that I read. A core tenet of the conspiracy theory is that President Trump is secretly fighting a cabal of child sex predators that includes prominent Democrats, Hollywood elites, and deep state allies. QAnon-related content has exploded online, nearly 175% on Facebook and nearly 63% on Twitter. This statistic, according to a British think tank. The FBI has called QAnon a domestic terror threat. The reason why I bring this up, though, is it's one thing for the larger, unbelieving world to believe it. But this thing is gaining foothold, listen, church, in some churches in America. QAnon's conspiracies weave scripture, hello somebody, and biblical themes. In this article, one pastor who is alarmed by this, is quoted is saying, it's pulling families apart. It's pulling people away from the gospel and creating distrust among people searching for the truth. Let me say that again. It's full pull... This, this the conspiracy theories are pulling families apart. It's pulling people away from the gospel and creating distrust among people searching for the truth. Let me say it again. Lies divide. Lies divide destroy lies will kill lies will divide we are seeing church what happens to a culture a culture of lies a culture of half-truth a rejection of truth when that culture when these lies can be disseminated with the click of a finger We're seeing what happens. It's costing human lives. It's costing division, destruction, and devastation to our country and to the world. And the scary thing is most people are going to conclude what? It's just them. It's just him. It's just her. It's the Republicans. It's the Democrats. It's them. It's systems. It's education. And Scripture says if all you see is what you see, then you will never see all that there is to be seen. Scripture says in Ephesians 2, 6, 12, what? Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle, this is truth, is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The struggle or the conflict is not a material issue. The Bible says the struggle the flesh behind the flesh and blood behind racism the flesh and blood behind addictions wars the flesh and blood behind your marriage issues and church conflict is not just flesh and blood it's not just about him just about her or them or systems and institutions we're talking about the unseen battle there's a battle going on, battle being waged in the unseen realm. We've spent two weeks just unpacking that truth. In his opening account of the life of Jesus, John refers to this cosmic conflict in John 1:4, in him that is Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Verse five: "The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it." The word overcome in Greek could also be uh, translated apprehended with either term pointing to this very active fight between light and darkness. By the way, I have some good news. The darkness tried to overcome the light, but on Calvary, light won. And I get an amen. On Calvary light, one, in his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ defeated Satan and sealed his future. But the victory, as I said last week, has been won, but it has not been completely enforced yet. That's going to happen when he returns, come Lord Jesus, soon, and establishes his rule and reign of justice of love of compassion and peace until then the kingdom of darkness led by satan and we're going to talk about him a little bit and his allies have an agenda what is their agenda listen to the words of jesus john 10:10 10, 10. the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy Just think about what's happening in our country, in our world, and hear these words again. He comes to steal, to kill, to divide, to destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it, what? Abundantly. God's intention for you and me is to experience life, life abundant. God's intention for you and me is to know that you are as beloved, that you are his beloved and that God delights in you. God's intention for you is that you would make a concrete, tangible difference in the world around you. God has a kingdom assignment for you. But there is an enemy, a real enemy with an army of fallen angels, and they have a specific purpose too. Their purpose is to destroy everything that's good, destroy God's creation, destroy and discredit the cause of Christ, and to make your life one of constant spiritual defeat and misery. Listen, church, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to scare you. But there needs to be a major shift in how we see the world, yes? The world is not a playground. It's a battlefield. The world is not a playground, church. It's a battlefield. The Christian life is a struggle, fight, hand-to-hand combat. It's not one of ease. It's not one of comfort. It's not one of safety and convenience. It's a struggle, combat in the unseen realm. So the anchoring passage for us has been Ephesians 6. Verses ten to twenty. I'm not going to read all of it today. We, it's, it, we, I don't have time. I wish I could, but can I just can I just encourage and challenge all of us? I'd love for our entire church to memorize Ephesians six ten to twenty. Why just memorize that passage? Okay. That's been an anchoring passage which we've been we've been launching off of. And today today I want to just read Ephesians six eleven. Where he says, put on the full armor of God so that you could take your stand against the devil's schemes. So, in this unseen battle today and next week, we're gonna talk about our enemy, the devil and his schemes. And that word is methodeia, from which we get the English word what? Methods, his tactics, how he works. Identifying the schemes or the methods of the devil is the most important skill that you could have. By the way, just real quick the devil, let me just, who is the devil? We don't need to be afraid of him, but there needs to be healthy respect. C.S. Lewis, I think, said it best. He said the two errors we can make is be, be overly obsessed with him and see the devil or demons everywhere, or just ignore him altogether. And I think the second is way more dangerous because it plays right into his hands. Just a quick one-minute thing on the devil. Did you know Satan is his name? It was a created being. He's an angel. Highest of angels. He was a cherub. And in case you're thinking, what is a cherub? Don't think cute Hallmark card angels, okay? Think blazing fire. Do you know what his job was? His job was to be the guardian of God's glory. Satan's job was to be the guardian of God's glory. Read Isaiah 14. He had more power than anyone else in the universe except God. And he was the most beautiful being in the universe except God. His downfall, he wanted to what? Be God. His downfall, he wanted to be God. Isaiah 14, read it. It Tells you. Five I will statements. Pride, pride, pride. Pride, foundational sin that lets to downfall. And I'm reminded, Scripture says what? Those who humble themselves will be exalted, and those who exalt themselves, what? Will be humble. Pride. And in his pride, he fell. This is important. A third of the angels that God created fell along with him. So when we're talking about demonic spiritual warfare, we're talking about Satan, and a third of angels that rebelled against God and fell with him. So what are his methods then? What is his methods? The good news is that Satan doesn't possess a large artillery, okay? He is a one-trick pony. That's all he is. Dangerous, but he's a one-trick pony. What is that one trick? Jesus tells us, John 8, 44. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him, When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is, listen to this, a liar and the father of lies. He is a one-trick pony. What does he do? The word devil is the word diabolos, and the verb form of that is to lie and slander. As my brother Cece loves to say, the devil is a liar. That's all he is. At the core of his DNA, the devil is a liar. So let me just say this real quick. We are never more like Satan than when we lie. We are never more like Satan when we lie, when we traffic in lies, when we allow lies to go unchecked. There should be zero tolerance in the body of Christ for lies. Can I get an amen? There should be zero tolerance for lies in the body of Christ, church. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4 25, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth for we are all parts of the same body. The devil wants to kill. The devil wants to divide. The devil wants to destroy. And the way he does it is through lies. That's why, now listen, this is important. The battleground for this unseen battle is between what? Our ears. The battleground for this. Listen to this. This isn't hocus-pocus. This isn't Satan in a red jumpsuit. The battleground is for our minds, for our belief system regarding God, regarding you, and regarding what's happening in the world. That's why the Bible says constantly things like Romans chapter 12 too. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. Mind, this is where the battle is won and lost. And as I said last week, why is that important? Because what you believe will affect your emotions. And your emotions will affect how you behave. Think about what's ailing you today and ask. Does it have anything to do with what I believe about God or myself, what's going on, which then affects how I feel, which then affects. How I behave. And again, the New Testament is filled with this truth. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare, are not of the flesh, and have divine power to destroy strongholds. We are destroying. Now here's Paul saying, This is where the battlefield is. We are destroying speculations. Everybody say speculations. Speculation. you know what a speculation is? I'll tell you what it is. And this is one of Satan's favorite things. Speculation is when you don't have all the truth about something, but then you develop an entire scenario about it. Anybody done that? This week even, right? Like you don't have all the truth about something, but all of a sudden you hear this voice that says, Why? Oh, he's thinking of that about you. Oh, you know, she's doing that behind your back. Where's this voice coming from? Or, like I talked to a brother this week. Whose kid had to be uh, taken to the emergency center. And he said, I had these speculations about all these things that could potentially... I've been there as a parent. Like, oh, where are these, where are these thoughts coming? Out? Worst case scenario, where are these thoughts? Speculations. Here's the thing. You want to have a choice. We could either respond to speculations or we could respond to truth. We need people committed to the truth. Speaking truth, seeking truth. Not to speculation. We're destroying speculations, Paul says, and every thoughty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. See you know what Paul is saying? The battlefield is for your mind. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we fight it? Huh. You feel it, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable. Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's any worthy of praise, he says what? Think about these things. Think about these things. Battlefield is your mind. And when you get a thought, ask yourself, is this true? Is this honorable? Is this just? Is this lovely? Is this truth? Is this truth? The battlefield is for our minds. Do I believe the truth about what God says about who He is? Do I believe the truth about God says who I am? Do I believe the truth about what's happening around the world around me? That is where the battle is. So, today what I want to do for a remainder of the time, is so I want to take you to, I think, the text that reveals two things. Number one, it reveals enemy's tactics, his schemes, how he works, okay? It's plain to see if you have eyes to see. But in that same text, we also, we also learn about the, the, the weapons to fight against his tactics, his lies. And of course, the text, if you know, is Genesis 3. Genesis 3. So I want to take you to Genesis 3, okay? And let's look and see and discover what his tactics are, what his lies are, and then truth to combat his lies. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty. He's smart, church. He's smart. We can talk about how we fight, you know, from victory, not for. We can talk about all this stuff, but we keep doing the same things over and over and over and over again. It's good to have healthy respect for him was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? To which Eve should have said, shut up, you liar. Shut up, you murderer. He didn't say any tree. We are living. We are in a garden. There's tree upon tree. but He said we could eat any of the, all of these except one instead of doing that though. We'll see, she believed a lie. But here's the first truth about the way enemy works. That is, he undermines the truth of God's word. Amen. Satan will undermine the truth of God's word. Here's the question. So is this book the authority, the ultimate authority in your life? Is this book right here, God's self-revelation of himself, the ultimate authority in your life? Is it ultimate truth? Is this book the guiding North Star, the compass for your life from which you make decisions and how you live your life? Look, I'm not that much older than most of you. But in the last 20, 30 years, I've been astounded at the erosion, at the erosion of God's word as authority for Christians. I am so sober in this realization that in the church, in the body of Christ, people could proclaim to say this right here, the book is God's self. It's my ultimate, it's truth, it's ultimate truth, it's God's authority in my life. That there's been an erosion of trust and confidence in God's word. Listen, if you come to our church, you need to know this. My opinions don't matter. My opinions don't matter. What I think doesn't matter. My job is to the best of my ability point you to this book, point you to God's truth, regardless of what the issue is. We humbly go back to His Word and ask, What does God say about that? What does God say about that? Not what does my culture say, not what does my feelings say. What does God say about that? As the psalmist said, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light. And to my path. Satan will do everything. This is the beginning to twist and to undermine God's word as truth, as ultimate authority in our lives. Here's what that sounds like these days. Well, that's just plain and practical, Pastor Peter. I mean, the Bible was written thousands of years ago. Here's what it sounds like I know what God said. But obeying that is just plain inconvenient for who I want to date, who I want to marry, my career advancement, what I do with my money. Satan will come and undermine God's word as authority and say, Did God really say... Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. God never said that. God never said that. You must not but that gets to something we'll see, or you will die. Verse 4, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's the second truth. That gets to Satan's tactic or scheme. That is, Satan attacks God's intentions and God's heart. Every time. God will attack God's, Satan will attack God's intentions and God's heart. This is Satan's most often used strategy. Do you know why? Because it works. It works. Because if you, listen, listen, look at me. If you question God's intentions and God's heart, you will not trust him. And trust is the building block for any relationship. Let me say that again. If you question God's intentions and God's heart, you will not trust that person. And if you don't trust that person, how are you going to listen to him? How are you going to follow him? See what Satan does? Listen to what he says. He's he's literally saying, he's saying God doesn't want you to eat from any tree. He's saying, why is God holding out on you? Why, Why is God trying to keep you down? Why is God trying to exploit you? Why does God want to rob you of the life you want? God's a bully. God's a killjoy. It's perfectly good to eat. The lie of Satan that our first parents bought into... This is so critical. Lie that was lodged into their hearts and lodged into our hearts is God's a bully. God's a killjoy. Obey him and he'll crush you. Give your life over to him. Surrender everything to him. And your life is over as you know it. God doesn't have your best interest at heart. What? God doesn't love you. God is not for you. And that light sink deep into the heart of our first parents, and we're struggling still struggling with it. I've been a pastor for 30-some years. And I can't tell you the number of times when I sat with someone who's going through suffering, who's going through hardships, trials, who's going through unanswered prayers. How almost automatically their hearts and my heart, too, how almost automatically we go to, well, if God was good, why would He allow this? If God was good and loving, Pastor Peter, why am I still single? I mean, I follow Him, I obey, I've given my own. If God was still if God was good and loving, why, why didn't that job work out? If God is still good and loving, why cancer? If God is good and loving, why the unexpected deaths? If God is really good, then why are we still childless? We've prayed for years. Does God love me? Is He for me? The reason why this is so critical, church, is this. I, let me just sum it up this way. The whole point of the Christian life is what? Is to follow Him, right? Discipleship, it's all about follow Jesus, follow Jesus but we will not follow someone we don't what? Trust. Even my 10-year-old, no one knows that. We will not follow someone we don't trust. So if you're not denying yourself today, if you're not carrying the cross and following Jesus today, if you have not gone all in and said, God, everything that I am, everything that I have is yours, at the root of that, but the root of that is you don't trust him. You question God's intentions in God's heart. Which, by the way, then opens the door wide to temptation and sin. You know what the root of sin is? And I've seen this happen Thousands of times, the root of sin is I don't trust God to come through in his way, in his time, in his choosing. So I am going to opt to meet my needs in my way, in my time, in my choosing. Some of you are there today, right now, which is exactly what Eve then does. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desire for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Here's the third truth. Satan will always use God-given desires. Now see, this is where it gets complicated, isn't it? This is where it gets complicated, church. Because we have a God-given need for significance. We want our lives to matter. We want to know that there's purpose. We have a God-given need. It's a God-given need for acceptance, for intimacy. Oh, God-given need for intimacy, to be fully known and to be fully loved without any fear of rejection. With God-given need for love, for companionship. These are gaping holes in our hearts because God put them there. And what Satan does is he'll drive into those holes. He'll drive into those holes. And the way he does it, he'll come and say what? You know, it looks like you need acceptance. I can give that to you, you know. Oh, hey, it looks like you need intimacy. I can give that to you. And church, sin will not come packaged as some ugly, empty, distorted thing sin will come packaged what remember lucifer satan was the most beautiful being it'll come beautiful it'll come attractive it'll come fulfilling it'll come whole satan will never come to you and go yeah do that and you'll struggle with addictions for the rest of your life no 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 no. he won't come and say yeah do that and it'll be really really bad by december oh no 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 he doesn't do that he doesn't do that you ever hear the lie of just one just once, the lie of just once. The lie of just once is, I just do it just this one time, that's it. I'll just, I'll just look the other way just this one time. I'll, 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 you know, I'll, I'll just log on just, just, just one time. I'll, I'll cheat just one time. But it's never just once, is it? Every choice you and I make influences today, influences a tomorrow we can't see. Let me say that again. Every choice we make today influences a tomorrow we can't see. Satan will have you believe. It doesn't matter for tomorrow. No, no, no. Today always counts. And if we fail to deal with issues today, those issues will deal with us tomorrow. If we fail to deal with, I don't know what your issues are today, those issues will deal with us tomorrow. What choices are you making today? Do I recognize the weight of the decisions, big and small, that I'm making today? What appetites have I allowed to control me? In what areas am I lacking self-control? In what areas have I allowed compromise to enter slowly? Verse 6, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Here's the fourth. Satan will use others to influence us. Oh, man. Some of you are so wanting to make good decisions, but other people keep you from making them. Just talked to a brother this morning who said there is a brother who wants to follow Jesus and make good decisions, but he is in a relationship where that other person is constantly just dragging them down. See, the enemy knows that alone, you're not gonna make wrong choices. But you have a tendency for social acceptance. Enemy figure it out when there's one other person, two other people in the equation, he's got you exactly where he wants you. Let me just ask, real real quick. Could it be possible? Could it be possible, Christian, that you're giving into this temptation? That it's other people around you. Who's your community? Who do you have people around you? Who, who, who's around you? Do they make you better? Do they help you follow Jesus closer? We're going closer. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, which is a, a larger, larger truth than just physically naked. So they sew thick leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Where's Satan? Read to the very end. Where is, where, where is he? You know, where he's nowhere to be found know nowhere to be found. Not only does Satan promise something he can't deliver, like deep soul satisfaction and true intimacy. He'll, he'll tell you, I can provide. He can't provide that for you. But Satan always vanishes when we sin, leaving us, what, broken and empty and alone. Then he does something else, and this is the last truth. Satan will return to accuse you for the very same thing he enticed you to do. I'm going to talk more about, just just more about this next week. So let me just suffice it. Revelation 12.10 describes Satan as the accuser of the brethren. He is the accuser. Hebrew. Satan in Hebrew literally means the accuser. Satan tempts you just so that he could accuse you. The temptation is not where the battle. He tempts you so that he could accuse you. Come storming back to heap guilt, condemnation, fear, and insecurity to come flooding into your life. His entire aim is not just to tempt you. His entire aim is to keep you down, keep you from repenting, keep you from picking yourself back up again. That's his entire aim. The accuser will come and say, come on, come on, come on. It'll be okay. God will forgive you. That's his job. Pastor Peter's always talking about grace. And then once you give in, God's never going to forgive you for that. No. The accuser will come and say, hey, it'll be just this one time. It'll be okay. You can stop any time. Then once you give in, Satan comes rushing with the voice that says what? You'll never get over it. You'll struggle with this for the rest of your life. And here's the thing, church. When the enemy accuses us, we don't go there and we don't, we don't, we don't say back to him. Very few of us, when, when, when the enemy accuses us, we don't say, shut up, liar. I know who I am. I know who I am in Christ. I know what I have in Christ. I'm forgiven. I'm accepted. I am seated with Christ at the right hand of God. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. I have an inheritance that nothing can take away. And nothing can separate from God's love. We don't say that, do we? No, no, no. What do we do? We believe the first lie, and then we do the second lie. Listen, I'm talking to somebody who is sitting there today, and you're going, I could never be forgiven. Somebody is saying, if I was a really Christian, I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't be living like this. I'm a fraud. I'm done. you see the way Satan works? Spiritual warfare is not a power encounter. It is a truth encounter. Everybody say, truth encounter. It's a truth encounter, church. You fight a liar with what? Truth. It's not about spouting Bible verses. It's not spouting Bible verses. Listen, listen, listen. Satan knows the Bible better than you do. What is he doing in Matthew 4 in the temptation? He's what? He's quoting Bible verses to Jesus. He's stepping out in faith and acting on the truth. That's what it is. I love this definition by Th- Tony Evans. Faith is acting as if something is true, Even when it doesn't appear to be true, In order that it might be shown to be true, Simply because God said it's true. Let me say that again, Faith is not just why I believe it, Faith is acting on, uh, Acting as if something is true, Even when it doesn't appear to be true, In order that it might be shown to be true, Simply because God said it's true, It's Taking truth about God, Truth about us, And acting on it, As if it was true. So here are the truths, that I want to leave you with. First truth, God is good, and he gives us everything we need. Can I get an amen? God is good, he gives us everything we need. Chapters 1 and 2, that's what Genesis chapters 1 and 2 is about. Look around the garden. What did they have that they didn't need? What did Adam and Eve have that they didn't need? God's plan is to give you everything that you need, child of God. That's a desire for you. God is not a bully. God is not a killjoy. So if God doesn't give you what you think you need, it's because he has something better. So if your heart is saying this morning, if God doesn't come through for me, I'm just going to figure out another way to get that made. Faith says I'm going to hang on and trust him. Faith says, acting on, faith says, I am not going out my, up to meet my knees in my way, my time, my choosing. Faith says I'm going to hang on because I know he's good and I know he gives his best to the people he loves. He did it once, he'll do it again. What do I mean? Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us what? All things. Truth, he shed his blood for you. He rose from the dead and defeated Satan and death for you. God wants the best for you. God will not withhold any good from you. Second truth, God is the author of life. God is the author of life. Genesis 2 tells us that God breathed into the nostrils of man and he came to life, right? But it's not just the physical reality of Jesus in John 10.10. 10, I have come that you might have what? Life. And have life abundantly. So here's the question. When you're faced with temptation, I need you to ask, is this going to lead to life or is this going to lead to death? The decision I about to make. Deuteronomy thirty nineteen. God says to his people, today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Here's the truth about sin. All sin leads to death. Little ones as well as big ones. And every little isolated sin is linked to a lifestyle of habitual sin. The little things in our lives that we say just one time is connected to a pattern that leads to a lifestyle of sin. All of them lead us away from the heart of God, and they lead us to death spiritually, relationally, death to purpose and life. Faith says what? I will choose life. I will make decisions tomorrow morning when I get up, little ones, big ones, that will be life. I choose life. Here's the third truth. God is faithful to his word and the consequences of our choices. This is a hard one. Genesis 2.16, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The result of man's disobedience is what? Pain, shame, guilt, fear, and eventually death in every way. Listen, listen, listen. When you and I willingly choose to disobey, God's not just going to wink and say, I said it was going to be this way, but oh well. I don't want a God like that, and neither do you. I want a God who is faithful to his word and the consequences of our choices. He has to be faithful to his word. You can't just say, God, I know you said if I did that, that'll happen, but I hope everything's going to be okay. If you don't want God to put you in positions where your life is going to be less than what God intends for it to be, do not put God in positions where God can't not be faithful to his word and the consequences of our choices. The enemy whispers into your ear, nothing will happen. It'll be okay. God says, I am faithful to my word and the consequences of your choices. But here's the good news truth four God pursues us even in our disobedience. Somebody. They're naked and ashamed, they're making clothes to hide. Genesis 3, 8, what does God do? Then the man and his wife hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Where are you? I love those three words. Are there three more beautiful words in all the scripture? And by the way, if you envision God going, where are you? No, it's grace, it's compassion, it's mercy. Where are you? The enemy who leads you into sin is going to leave you broken, empty, and alone. But the amazing thing is, when you're broken, alone, and empty, God, what, pursues us. God pursues us. God pursues us into that moment. The whole Bible is a loving God pursuing a rebel, traitorous people, saying, where are you? Culminating in Jesus who says, I came to seek and save, what, that which is lost the only reason why you and I can find God, reach for God, is because he first loved us. He first reached out for us. Can I get an amen? We love God because he first loved us. Satan desperately wants you and me to think that you're done. Listen, I don't know who I'm talking to today, but I, the accuser will do everything possible to convince somebody out there that God is done with you because of your disobedience. Somebody listening to this is going deeper and deeper into sin and into habitual cycle of sin because you're going, man, I'm just messed up. I'm never going to go with this. So what's the use? I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. Your obedience doesn't save you. Grace saves you. Let me say that again. Your obedience doesn't save you. Grace saves you. What that means is your disobedience doesn't disqualify you. Your disobedience doesn't qualify you. You're never finished with God. God comes to you and says, I know you're in it real deep. I know you think you're never going to get out of this. I know you feel bound and hopeless, child of God, but I'm coming for you. I'm pursuing you, and I'm not going to stop until I find you. Faith says where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Faith says no matter how high the mountain of sin is, I know the mountain of grace is always bigger. And here's the last truth. Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice. Genesis 3.21, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve, his wife, and he clothed them. He clothed who? He clothed who? Rebels who chose to go their own way and chose death over life. He clothed who? People who willingly disobeyed God's intention and God's good. He reaches out to them. He reaches out to them and He clothes them. The Creator God. And the animal sacrifice to make coverings for sinful humanity points us down the road to another sacrifice, doesn't it? Come on, I'm, I'm connecting the dots for you here. It points to another sacrifice. See, another Adam. Paul says the second Adam would come centuries later. And to the second Adam, God said, Obey me fully and you'll be crushed. Surrender your all. Say, not my will but yours be done. And the Heavenly Father will turn his face away. But this Adam obeyed anyway. This Adam surrendered anyway, knowing that he'd be crushed, knowing that the father would turn his face away. Why did he do it? Why did he do it? For you and for me. I came that you might have life and have it to the full. He comes and lives the life we should have lived and dies the death we should have died. So that when we place our faith and trust in him, when we surrender, when we yield, when we obey, he comes and clothes us in our nakedness, in our shame, with robes of righteousness and gives us life, life abundant. Is that good news? That's how you can know you can trust Him. That's how you know you and I can trust Him. Do you feel alone? Do you feel forsaken? Do you feel like God has abandoned you? I want to remind you that on the cross, all the forces of the universe were arrayed against Jesus. Hell itself was unleashed on the Son of God on the cross. And Jesus could have stopped it. He could have stopped it. He could have stopped He could have stopped eternal justice from coming down on him. He could have stopped the Father from turning his face away. All he had to do was give up on you and give up on me. All he had to do was walk away. But in the greatest act of the love of the universe, he what? He stayed. He stayed. Faith says, if he didn't abandon me, then when hell itself was coming down on him, he isn't going to abandon me now. Are you discouraged and down? Is anybody here doubting his love for you because you desperately want something and you think it's unfair and unloving God to not provide? Faith says, I'm going to fix my eyes on the cross if he did not spare his only son, if he did not spare the greatest gift for me. Do I really think I would spare something He thinks that I need? I'll trust Him. Let me finish with this. Anybody need encouragement to fight this battle? Genesis three fourteen. So the Lord God said to the serpent, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike His heel. It's looking down the future. In His death and resurrection, Satan's head was crushed. Satan, sin, and death were crushed and defeated once and for all. If you're a Christian, as we continue this journey, remember the truth. Satan has no power over you. Can I get an amen? Faith says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. We have the power and resources to overcome the enemy. Use the resources provided for us by the captain of our salvation until he either calls us home, or until the enemy is finally consigned to his eternal destiny, the lake of fire. That is truth. Let's pray together, church. Let's pray together. Let's pray together this morning. And as we pray together this morning, what I want to do is I want to lead you into a time of reflection and asking these questions. And I asked them earlier in the sermon. Just as David prayed in Psalm 139, 23, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. God, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And with that prayer posture, Here are the questions I asked earlier, and they're going to be appearing on the screen. What choices am I making today? Am I choosing life, or am I choosing death? Second question, do I recognize the weight of the decisions, big and small, that I'm making today? Do I recognize the weight of the decisions, big and small, that I'm making today? Here's the third. What appetites have I allowed to control me? What appetites have I allowed to control me? Here's the next one. In what areas am I lacking self-control? In what areas am I lacking self-control? And lastly, in what areas have I allowed compromise to slowly enter? In what areas have I allowed compromise to slowly enter. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. We allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you right now. Pray together, church. Lord, I don't know who needs to hear this today, but your word tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, silence the voice of condemnation from the enemy, the accuser, so that your son or your daughter can hear your voice today. Your voice that says there's forgiveness available, your voice that says there's redemption available, there's healing available, there's grace available truth that says our sin may reach far but your grace reaches further and may your loving kindness lord lead them to repentance your word tells us that if we confess our sins you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness so we come needing your mercy today we come needing your grace today Jesus and father open our eyes to see The battle that is being waged for our hearts and for our souls all around us. A real enemy God that exists to destroy, to steal, and kill marriages, churches, relationships, ministries. He is doing everything he can to have us believe that the battle is with people. Father, open our eyes to see. The battle is not with flesh and blood, but with demonic forces in the heavenly realms. Remove whatever scales that blind our eyes, Jesus. Help us to see Jesus. Show us the lies that we're believing. Holy Spirit, come. We know that the enemy is a father of lies. It's his native tongue. Show us what lies we're tempted to believe about us, about you, about what's happening in our world today. And fill me with truth. John 17, sanctify me with truth. Your word is truth. And Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the victory you won for us. Remind us today that we do not fight for victory, but from victory. He is a defeated foe. Greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. We can resist him, and he will flee from us. That is your promise. Help us exercise the faith that we already have by trusting in you and believing in you for your victory. And we pray all this in the powerful, powerful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And church, as we end today's service, as we've done every Sunday, you're going to see this corporate benediction up on the screen. Let's say this together as we leave today. We believe that we were created to live deeply with one another. To carry each other's burdens, to share our possessions, and to pray for and confess our sins to each other. To suffer and to celebrate together. It is in these sacred relationships and honest, loving communities that God transforms us. The way of Jesus cannot be lived alone. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday, church. And Lord willing, we will see you again. Take good care.